Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Hi, it's Caroline Stephen, financial journalist. Kayaking with humpback whales, swimming with manta ray, shark caging in South Africa. These are some of the things that Terry Tran does in his time off from the markets. Terry Tran is a fund manager who's been mentored by some of the world's great investors, including Warren Buffett himself. He is the founder of The Freedom Trader. In part two of Terry's interview today, we look at Terry's biggest trading errors, what a typical trading day looks like for him, how he invests, and his percentage profits. But first up, here's a wrap of the markets with Chris Tate for the week ending the 22nd of September. Chris Tate, hello and welcome. Hi, Caroline. What world indices were trending over the last week? That's a very good question. Uh, The Americans looked like they were going to try and continue their push towards all-time highs again, but it seems as if they got a little bit of stage fright towards the end of the week and fell over again. And I don't know whether that's related in any way, shape or form to, you know, the Fed making noises about the fact that we are, or at least the Americans are now in this cycle of rising interest rates as opposed to us where we've been flat as a flounder since what since november 2010 we've not had a rise so the americans sort of went flat towards the end of the week the steam went out of them all of this is also conflated by this sort of pissing competition we're having between the north korean version of i'm a man baby and the north american version of i'm a man baby and whether that's putting the skitters a little bit under the market. But intriguingly, that doesn't seem to be reflected in the typical risk premium commodity of gold, which seems to be slipping at present. Ordinarily, your expectation would be that with all this carry-on, that gold would be at least a little bit more buoyant than it is. It's hardly buoyant at all. How are other commodities trending? This is an interesting question. This is something I was thinking about at the weekend before we spoke, and that is I I used to be a heavy trader of energy, but energy by and large has not gone anywhere for some time. There has been a little bit of a fill up with heating oil post the devastation that has hit the Gulf states following their usual round of hurricane season. But other than that, oil is very, very static. It seems to be very range bound. Now, I don't know whether that is symptomatic of a sea change in that oil as a commodity and as an industrial element is becoming irrelevant and whether there is now so much of it, we're so effective at producing it, 
There's no carry-on in the Middle East, and it's gradually being displaced by other power sources that you might actually be beginning to see a complete change in tone around oil, where it simply ceases to be a commodity reacts to political shock because it doesn't seem to react to that, or vast changes in supply and demand because we're really efficient at pumping it out of the ground, but we're not so efficient at consuming it anymore. The world is changing. The world will, and this is one of the things that is intriguing to me, is that people look back after the world has changed and gone, well, dear God, I didn't see that coming. When, when really, if you're a little bit observant and a little bit of a student of history of anything, you understand that the underlying feature of all things, including markets, is one of perpetual change. I know the American market is pushing towards all-time highs at present, but there is a universal maxim. All booms end in busts. But what amazes me is people always look back and go, oh, dear God, the market's going down. I never would have imagined that. It's as if they completely missed the point of the GSC, the tech wreck, the Asian economic crisis, the 87 crash, all the way back into history. Most traders are so incredibly myopic and locked into their own, or locked into the irrelevancy of their own time frame, that they don't understand that they're part of a continuum of history. What opportunities are you looking at at the moment? I have to talk my own book because, you know, legislation defines that I must. Uh, because I buy new highs, I am long the US. The European markets, particularly the DAX and the EU50, have started to break out of the channel they've been in for the last quarter. And because I buy breakouts from channels, I am along them. I'm also at present building a short position in gold, simply because it's not responding to what's happening. The other thing that has surprised me has been the resilience of the Japanese market. The Japanese had a very good midweek session, despite the fact that the North Koreans keep lobbing missiles over their heads. But they are surprisingly resilient, or their market is surprisingly resilient. That and also, if you're looking at currency complexes, the only one that has really moved as a block has been the pound, and it's been strong against all its counterparties. Why? Nobody knows, but nobody really cares because it's going up. Chris Tate, thanks for your time. Thanks, Caroline. Most traders act like a little kid in the markets. They don't know that a great trading plan is their secret weapon. Isn't it time you grew the f*** up? Register on tradinggame.com.au and grab our free trading plan template. It's a sign of being a mature trader. This is Ali Brown and I'm listening to Talking Trading. Terry Tran is the founder of The Freedom Trader. After his family escaped the war in Vietnam and travelled as refugees in a wooden tug to Australia, Terry sought the financial markets. And he learned from some of the best investors in the world, including Warren Buffett himself. We hear part two of Terry's interview now. Psychological hurdles. Which ones do you see traders and investors get caught in like a trap? I think... The need to be right. See, when, I, when you asked me about my grades in, high, in school, I said, yeah, I got good grades. It's because the need to be right of getting every exam spotless, getting 100% as close as I could in the 90s, and they gave me the big tick of approval. So I think when we grow up, we end up going back to the, the school system where we need to be right. And therefore, when, when something goes wrong, we can't take a loss. So that's a psychological hurdle that I think a lot of investors and traders, they go through where they just go, ah, 
they take a, they, they get a loss and they just hold on. And you know, I, I ask that question sometimes when you know, oh, what happens when you buy into something and uh, you know you made a mistake and now it starts going down? And a lot of people say, no, uh, we, we sell out. And I said, no, that's in theory you'd probably say you can sell out and um, you know and take that loss. But in practice, I see a lot of people just hold on because they want to see that they they got it right. Therefore, they hold on. And now when it keeps on going down, say they've lost 20, 30% now, all they're hoping for is not even to make a profit. They just wanted to go back to break even, mm-hmm. sell out, break even, and say that you know to their friends or their, fr- their, their friends and their family, say, uh, I did okay in the stock market. I didn't make any money, but I also didn't lose money. So mm-hmm. it's that ego attached to that being wrong, I think. And, and that's, the, the I think, one of the major psycho- the psychological hurdles that most investors and traders must go through. I've interviewed a lot of market wizards, and every yeah. single one of them, loves talking about their biggest trading errors. <laughs> What's been yours? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> I can talk for hours, the, the, the silly mistakes I make. The biggest one I think would be um, over leverage. And if I, if I look at my history, my checkered history of, on my past, when I blew three accounts, I blew my first account on, on options. Leverage. All guys have this story. All male traders have this story. (laughs) (laughs) I blew my second account on CFDs, which is a factor of 20. (laughs) And then my next one was was Forex. So I've actually experienced leverage in all angles of trading. So over leverage, I can say number one. I I can tell you, even tell you my second one, letting tax drive decision making. Seriously, uh, I don't know if you recall Platinum Asset Management. Uh, About a decade ago, they, uh, Kerr Nielsen, he floated Platinum Asset Management in his float. And I got, I actually was lucky enough to be a, a big Comsec client and they gave me a lot of stock. So we floated at $5 and I think we had a stag profit. It hit nine, uh, ended up at 880. And I remember that on that day, the first day, the stag profit of about 80, 80%, I think it was. And I says, no, I'll, I'll wait for my 50% capital gains discount for the end of the year. And it should hold up because it's overvalued, but it should hold up. So by the end of the year, uh, year one, one day later, I looked back, I said, yeah, it's probably time to sell. And I sold it at just above five bucks money. So I didn't have to pay any tax, but I made nothing. (laughs) So that sort of slapped me across the face. And I said, I'll never do that again, ever. (laughs) Anymore? Easily. Uh, Never be in a rush, especially when you sort of you're in a rush doing something during the day. And you know, oh, the market's almost closing. You quickly got to put in an investment or a trade. And I did this uh, on – this is when I was doing – when I was still, still uh, silly enough to do uh, CFDs on CMC markets. So I logged on. I knew – I actually needed to – I think I, I needed to sell something. or no, buy something. And by accident, I put on quite a sizable order and I sold it. So I short sold the thing. And I didn't realize for another – maybe another minute or two. <laughs> so the markets didn't close yet. And I thought, oh, crap. That was a massive mistake. Opposite position. Uh, the stock is now actually not, it, it's going the right, I'm starting to lose money. So rather than making the mistake, at least I did sell out. But because of the buy-sell spread, it was only about two minutes. And in two minutes, I think at that time, I lost about eight and a half or $9,000. <laughs> so it was per hour was probably one of my biggest hourly rate loss ever. <laughs> so never be in a rush to put on order. Opportunities are like buses, they'll, another one will come along. Let's talk about what investing, trading, the financial markets has given you, Terry. One word sums it all up, freedom. 
So the word freedom, uh, that's what it's given me. For me, I think the financial markets, if you do it right, it can give you freedom on the finance side, where they're, when on the finance side, it spills into other areas of your life as well. So it gives you more time, the family, the spouse, kids. Also allows you to have uh, being lo- location freedom as well, being wherever you are around the world. I mean, I've been lucky enough to now call, I think, over 40 different, because I actually did list it, over 40 different countries as home, where I've been able to be there, invest, trade while I'm there. But also the, the other thing too, experience freedom. So now that you've got wealth, for me, I've never been about the toys and that sort of thing. It's always been about you know, uh, travel, food indulgence, uh, seeing history from different parts of the world, and also doing you know, crazy things like kayaking with uh, hump, you know, humpback whales, uh, seeing manta rays and swimming with manta rays, um, shark caging in South Africa. So it's all these crazy things that financial markets actually can give to you on the financial front, and then it just gives you other things as well. What does a typical day for Terry look like? A typical day is quite, quite simple. I'm more... Um, towards the U.S. markets these days. So the Australian market plays a, a, a very small role, maybe about 10%. The 90% is actually the United States and a bit of Europe. So I'm quite overseas or global. So the typical day is, is literally having preparing the investments or trades for the next day. So I never prepare when the markets are so-called open. So the, mar- the U.S. markets are closed. So rationality is actually quite easy because there's nothing, no numbers jumping up and down yep. in front of your screen. Yeah, do all the fundamentals. And when the next day comes, you just see whether the signals are there on the technical side to either buy or sell because the fundamentals are now okay. Uh, Macro factors, I do look on the macro side as well. So macroeconomics, I ensure that all the macro side is also safe where is the world coming towards another GFC. I want to make sure that it doesn't. So once that is okay, um, then the next day, literally, when I wake up within half an hour before, at the moment, the US markets close at at 6 a.m. Sydney time. So I'm up by, by about 5.15, 5.30, and I already know from the previous day's work what investments I want to be in or sell out of. And it's literally just that half an hour of just buying or selling. And that's pretty much it. And then I spend the next, once it's closed, then I do my usual thing, go to the gym, work out, come back, have breakfast, and prepare for the next day, which only really takes, it doesn't take that long. It's, it's maybe about an hour and a half worth of investing work, just preparing. How many positions do you tend to have open at a time? Uh, when you talk about uh, positions or stocks, is it one, one stock I can have multiple positions. At certain times, uh, for example, if I like the stock a lot, I may slowly scale in. Therefore, uh, I may have, for example, one stock, three or four positions in the one stock scaling over, over time. So stock-wise, usually you'll see myself having between 30 to about 45 different stocks on average. Yeah, sometimes when, say, Brexit, for example, Brexit was one stage where, you know, people panicked during Brexit and we were lucky enough to have sold out of most of our portfolio because of the energy side. We locked in the profits. So we had about 55% cash during Brexit. And during Brexit, I, I looked at our macro side and I actually did have a very big conviction that nothing was actually going wrong. Yes, UK is leaving the EU, but from the other point of view, systemic risk, there was nothing there. So within a 72-hour period, we were so busy that we ran out of money. We just went in with multiple positions, ended up with probably about 50 to 60 stocks, different stocks, and each one having one or 2% position sizes and, and literally uh, having a 100% portfolio fully lined up. 
Wow. You traded options? Did you? I'm not, uh, no. Pure, pure stocks. stocks. Yeah. I'm not a fan. After those, with options, I don't mind longer-term options where time decay is not there. But with um, stocks, I just see that as far safer. But yet also, if you're doing the, say, the S&P 500 from the safety aspect, but also you can actually trade out of those liquid, very liquid, in and out very quickly. What's your profit margin percentage-wise? Depends. Uh, on average, we are running on about, over, if I look at a broad spectrum, including all losses and everything, it's probably sitting on every single one, about 55 to 6% on average per, per, per trade. We're running at about 22% per annum. Uh, on a, on a, a loss, I, I normally on average, when I look back on time, the losses range from about uh, negative, negative 3 to about negative 5 or 6% per investment. On the profit side, it ranges from about 2 or 3% all the way to about 40 50% per trade. Do you still speak to Warren Buffett when you need him? Uh, no, no, I don't. He, he actually got very busy during the GFC. So what I'm going to do, funny enough, my wife asked me, why don't you just write back to, to, to Warren Buffett? It's been a long time. I said, that is the next thing that I'll be doing. So I'm going to write him another handwritten letter. And uh, yes, make contact again, which is which would awesome. So final notes to wannabe investors and traders that you think from your vast experience will make their journey smoother and easier. I think to know who they are, that's very important because I hear that, oh, you, you can't make money in investing, you can't make money on big stocks, and that is not true. For me, my universe, for example, is the S&P 500, and we make a very good return on the S&P 500, United States. Uh, people say, you know, big stocks are over-annualized. No, they, they're, they are analyzed very in-depth. However, there are times when they are also sold out badly because of, say, a earnings report that just didn't make it, make the cut. So they get sold down 10, 15% sometimes, and that's when you know valuation kicks in and you can buy them at cheap. Yeah. Okay, so note to final, final note to investors, know yourself. Yes, know yourself. Um, know if you, I mentioned this earlier, know if you are you know, more of an investor, a trader, or both. Yeah, you can do both. And not one is better than the other. Because for people who more, want more activity, yes, they can be a trader. But some people want to sit back, and if they don't want to do the work, probably don't be a trader. Because the people say, oh, what is the difference between tr trading and investing? I say, it's actually the same thing. Trading is just investing, but at a faster pace. Mm. So if you can't succeed investing on a slower pace, and you're already losing money, can you imagine trading now, and then potentially making losses at a faster pace, and blowing up your account much faster? So from that point of view, I see investing and trading very similar because all we're doing is sending our money out to work and hopefully bringing it back with a profit. So therefore, no difference. So once you decide on what you are and who, what you're going to become, then maybe potentially even start investing if that's what you want to do. And maybe down a track, if you find that you're successful at it, tack it on, which is exactly what I did. Just tack it on, you know, tiptoe in, and then if you find you like it, make it a major part. Anything else? One more piece of advice? Finding a mentor uh, or a multiple mentors if you need to that and ensure, from my experience, ensure they actually do it for a living. <laughs> they don't just teach. I can tell you there's a lot of people out there that just teach and they make their money from courses. For me, when I was, for example, on stage, I actually showed our portfolio. Um, when I started teaching 18 months ago, I thought I'd, I'd be transparent with our students. I thought, okay, why don't I just tell them exactly since from day one, every single student now sees our portfolio Every single purchase, 
not some model portfolio, but real funds for our own funds. Every single purchase, including the, the, the price we pay for it, to the moment we sell, including the price, any dividends we were lucky enough to pick up on the way, and what is actually our record. So every, everything is purely transparent. So we've done about 400 in the last 18 months on positions. So I was showing that people, you know, that was my very first sort of stage speaking. I, I actually don't speak for a living. I actually do for a living. So I wanted to show people this is what I do do for a living. And um, if you can find people who do for a living, and even if it means, you know, going to having a coffee, and even if you might, you, for me, I got a, a lot of rejections, but it doesn't matter. The few who, the few fund managers that actually do spend the time with you and they're willing to, it will make the world of difference. So therefore, spending people with pe- time with people who actually do it for a living and learning just you know, nuggets of wisdom from people who have been in the markets for a long time, and that's going to make a dramatic difference. Terry, if people want to find out more about you and Freedom yeah. Trader, where do they go? Oh, okay. Uh, they can see, uh, go to www.com. It's important that they put the, so T-H-E, thefreedomtrader.com. So www.T-H-E, thefreedomtrader.com, all one word. And you'll, you'll be able to actually even download a free 10-step stock checklist, which is totally free. Use it and see if the fundamentals is your thing. Uh, there's also free videos that I teach on how to use the checklist as well. And just see if, the, if, if that is what you want to do. And if, if you see that as what you want to do, then even check out the blog, just forward slash at the end, blog, B, uh, blog, B-L-O-G. And there's a lot of, I've written a lot of articles, videos, done videos, and you can actually learn for free and see if that gels with you in any part. And if it does, then um, yeah, subscribe. Terry Tran, the Freedom Trader, thank you for coming on to Talking Trading. Thank you, Caroline. Awesome. It's been uh, a lot of fun. And stay tuned next week for an interview with Accountant to the Stars, founder of the practice, Jason Cunningham, as he speaks to Louise Bedford. I'm Caroline Stephen. Have a good week trading. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned. Bye for now. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.